Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Mark uh, chapter 11 here on this uh, Palm Sunday. As we look at this passage together and we look at this subject, Christ on his terms and a triumphal entry for atypical times. In just a moment, we'll read uh, Mark chapter 11 as we read the account of Palm Sunday. Many of you are probably familiar with the story of the colt and, and Jesus riding in on the donkey and, and waving of the palm branches. This story is in all four of the Gospels. And it is a story of a crowd who cries out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ironically, we're in a time where we're avoiding crowds, but if you're like me, you have many experiences of where you've been in a crowd. And as I was thinking about that, I ran across a, a pastor friend who shared a story about a time that he, he was an American, and he went to Australia to be a speaker at some churches, but he found himself caught up in a crowd. I'll share his story with you. He, he flew around the world, of course. That's a long flight from anywhere, anywhere in the United States uh, to Australia. Big time difference. Uh, he was tired. He was exhausted, like many of you probably know what that's like to change time zones. So he decided he'd go for a walk. Well, he felt you know, very safe. He was, he was in a large city, but just kind of walking around and kind of groggy. And as he made his journey around town, all of a sudden he found himself in the middle of a town and in the middle specifically of a large crowd. And let me read to you what he said. He said, that's when I realized I had become part of a protest march. He said that's not what he intended to do when he crossed the Pacific Ocean, but he said, here I was marching down the street in a crowd of protesters, wondering whether protests were even legal where he was. Little by little, he says, I worked my way to the edge of the protest march and finally slipped back in the park. And that's how his brief career as a protester began and ended. He says later that evening he discovered he had been protesting the construction of a 12-story high-rise in a nearby neighborhood. He says, I don't know if the Australians ever built that structure. I don't even know whether I would have been for it or against it to begin with. But for the remainder of his days, he steered clear of all potential protest. And then he says this. He said, I learned something important that day. It is easy to become caught up in a crowd for all the wrong reasons. Crowds can attract people with a wide range of motivations. It could be a wide range of desires. Today we're going to read a story about a crowd that gathered. And I hope and pray that as we, as we look at Palm Sunday, I hope we see Jesus for who he is on his terms as we look at this, what I consider to be an eighth triumphal entry for atypical times. Well, follow along in Mark chapter 11, and I will read it out loud for you. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. Verse 5, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. 
And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. As we look at this passage together, I want to share three thoughts about Jesus being the king and about Jesus being sovereign. And as we look at this passage, I think the question for us is, what are we going to do on this Palm Sunday as we respond to Jesus? Uh, point number one is this, and it is very clear. Jesus, he is king. Uh, Jesus is sovereign. He is the king that, that the prophets foretold. He, he comes in, although not wearing regal robes, he comes in literally riding on top of peasants' clothes as they throw them down for him to ride. There were a lot of people there that day. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus said that it could have been that on Passover in the first century would have been as many as three million people. I don't know how many people even were there when Jesus walked in. Maybe there were some who, who totally missed it. We know that during Passover that approximates to at least three times the normal size of the city of Jerusalem as Jesus came in. All four Gospels thought it important enough to include this event. In fact, the Gospel of John is who gives us the very specific palm branch. The other, the other Gospels will talk about some sort of leafy branch, but John specifically lets us know that it was a palm branch. First Peter speaks of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Here on Holy Week, we are heading toward the lamb slain in space and time. It's actually the story that accounts for us when Jesus dies on the cross. Many, many messianic overtones. That is that, that this story carries with it many overtones of the fact that Jesus is the coming Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the, of the scripture. Uh, the leafy branches, the cry of Hosanna. We read a portion uh, earlier of Psalm, of Psalm 118 where the, what they were quoting, uh, the, the coming one. It talks about the kingdom of David in there too. We won't look at this passage in its entirety, but I want to point out a, a couple other things. Zechariah chapter 9 Matthew tells us is being fulfilled in the story of the palm branches, in the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But also in Zechariah, we won't turn there right now, but I want to share with you, Zechariah chapter 14 is a prophecy that talks about a march of this divine warrior into Jerusalem. I'm sharing this because when you look at this story of, of Jesus the King coming into Jerusalem, Zechariah 14 does allude to a prophecy of a, of a divine warrior that talks about the threat of Israel, the fact that Israel has enemies, and that God is going to bring victory for Israel. It's going to be the manifestation of God's universal reign. I can't help but think that as Jesus came in and people started thinking about these prophecies in Zechariah, that, that maybe they had this passage in mind that really lays the foundation and says that Israel... God is coming. There is a Savior coming. It uses specifically in Zechariah 14 the phrase, God save us, which is really what Hosanna means. He's making the point that Jesus is a king and Jesus is coming. He is coming to save. 
We see that throughout uh, the prophecies, particularly in Zechariah. But I also want to point another thing that I think it ties to, interestingly enough, and that is that this idea of a king processing into a city is not just seen in the Old Testament prophets, but in, but in some of the Greco and Roman kings during battles and things. I want to share a couple of examples with you that, that show this idea of king. And I can't help but think that as, as you see Jesus coming in as a king, this is first century uh, Jerusalem, but within the greater context of, of the Roman Empire, I can't help but think that people would think about some of these examples. There was a story told by Plutarch about Mark Antony as he rode into Ephesus. Let me share with you what exactly that looked like. As, as, as Antony would ride into Ephesus in those, in those early centuries, it says that the entering ruler, he'd, he'd be met at the gates of the city by the citizenry, and he'd be escorted into the, into the city with hymns and acclamations. They're, they're worshiping this king. They're worshiping Mark Antony. The goal of that procession was to take him ultimately to the temple, or plural, temples, where they would sa make sacrifices in honor of this great king. The Romans would do some of the very similar things. For example, when a Roman general would have a, have a victory, he, he would have this entourage, and they would, they would, they would, in front of him, they would bring the spoils of his victory, maybe the people that he captured in, in battle, and they would have to walk in front of him, and they'd be followed by these white oxen that they ultimately would take uh, to this temple and to sacrifice. The general, it says in, in Plutarch again, that he rode in a chariot, and he was dressed in royal robes, and he carried an ivy-topped scepter. And it also says that many times they would paint their face like the Roman god Jupiter, equivalent to Zeus. And a slave would ride with him, get this picture, holding a wreath or a crown in the form of a wreath over his head. In other words, it's not just that he's wearing a crown. They would, they would have a slave literally just hold it there over his head, signifying all of his glory. And there would be praise and there would be accolades. And then at the end, there would be a feast at one of their pagan temples. I, I can't help but think that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, that some of that background may be coming into their mind. We live in a world today where everybody is trying to figure out who has all the power and who's in charge. Battles have been fought time and time again over power. But what this coming into Jerusalem signifies, first of all, is that Jesus, he's the real king. He's the one in charge. But number two, this, not only is Jesus king, but number two, I want to share this. Jesus is king. He's on his terms. He's not going to come as you and I may think he, he's going to come. As the, as the crowd shouted, Hosanna, it is amazing to think through Holy Week and see, my, my, how things changed. Why? Because Jesus is a king, but he's going to be a king on his terms. He didn't come like the Greeks. He didn't come like Mark Antony. He didn't come like these Roman generals. He came on his own terms. And the easiest way we can see that is we just flip back one chapter. So if you do have a Bible or open it up on your phone, I encourage you to just go back to Mark chapter 10. I want to point out to you a couple of things that Jesus said. It is no accident that Jesus says these things just prior to coming into Jerusalem. Look at Mark 10, verse number 32. He says, they were going on the road, going up to Jerusalem, which is our story today. Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, 
he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Here it is. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Now skip down to verse number 45 in the same chapter. Jesus says it this way. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus, he doesn't have quite the same entourage as some of those kings. He's escorted by his disciples. There are people who voice Hosanna. But Jesus makes it very clear prior to his entry into Jerusalem that he is coming to die. His, his, another place in one of the other gospels says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Jesus had a laser focus intensity on the mission at hand, which was to not be served at this time, but to serve himself by giving his life a ransom for many. If you keep reading in Mark chapter 11, the next place Jesus shows up is the temple in Jerusalem. And what does he do there? Well, he drives out the people that he says are doing wrong, that are sinning, that are, that, are, that are not making it a house of prayer. Jesus drives them out. A very different picture than the other temple pictures. Jesus is a king, but he's a king on his terms. When you go back to Psalm 118, which we read earlier, it makes that phrase, Hosanna, which literally means God save us. The wording at least was right on that Palm Sunday. That phrase, Hosanna, that is what Jesus was there to do. Jesus is a king, but first of all, on this day, he was there to be a suffering servant and to die for the sins of the world. And as you think about Zechariah 14, which we didn't have time to read uh, this morning, but I encourage you later on to, to go read that chapter. He talks about this time where God is going to make all things new, when all the enemies of God will be defeated. I cannot help but think of Revelation chapter 7, which, by the way, also mentions palm branches. I want to read it to you. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is ultimately where God's plan is going. He did come on Palm Sunday and on Holy Week to die, but he eventually will return as king. It could happen today. Here's what he says. John said, I looked and behold a great multitude which no man could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, here it is, with palm branches in their hands. They're going to have the palms again. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus is a king, we learn on Palm Sunday. But Jesus is coming on his terms. He is coming with a focus of fulfilling the mission of his heavenly father to save the world from sin. Now, he's a king on his terms. But number three, here's the question. The same question that was for that crowd and that Holy Week as everybody all around dealt with and responded to the events that were taking place as our Savior was beaten and bruised and crushed and eventually on Friday died. 
The question for you and I, number three, is how will you respond to this king? He's different than other kings. Uh, most, most, most of the time in a, in, a, in, a, in a system of kings, most peasants die for their kings. But this king, he dies for his subjects. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, Jesus had come to take his throne, but he committed himself to begin his reign from a cross. By the end of this week, this holy week, crowds are shouting, crucify, crucify him. As I was studying uh, last week, I ran across a Wall Street Journal article that talked about our day and how our day we're dealing with so many things, particularly with the COVID-19. Let me read what this author had to say. He, he says that we in many ways have been very comfortable and some of those comforts have been taken and we sometimes don't know where to turn. Here's what he says. He says, only in the past 200 years has humanity truly taken off. We now float through an anomalous world of air conditioning, 911 call centers, acetaminophen, pocket-sized computers containing the sum of all human knowledge. We reduce nature to, quote, the shackled form of a conquered monster. And he says God became irrelevant. But then he asked this question, who will save us now that the monster has broken free? Another author put it this way, says, we're too grown up, we're too smart to fear the wolf that waited in the tangled forest behind our childhood, huddled under lights we no longer believe in a specter, black hooded and caped, who hides in the shadows to snare us. Well, we live in a world where we're social distancing, where we're fearful, when we read the news and we see death all around us and we see the challenges of today, where will we turn? I hope and pray that God's people will turn to God and will worship Christ on His terms because I want to remind us about what the Scriptures teach about the coming of Jesus. In the first coming of Jesus, He came to die. In the second coming, He's going to come to reign. This first coming in the story we read, He came on a donkey. But in the book of Revelation, He comes on a warrior horse. The first time He came as a humble servant, even a baby. But the second coming, He's going to come as an exalted king. Uh, the first time he came in humility and meekness, but the second time he's going to come in power. The first time he came to save, but the second time he's going to come to save, but also to judge. The first time he came in love, and I'm so glad that he did, but the second time he's going to have the love, but he's also going to come in wrath, the Bible says. The first time he came as God incarnate, God in flesh, but the second time he'll come as deity totally revealed. He came in this trip with 12 disciples. But the second coming, he's going to come with an army of angels. The first time he came to bring peace, in fact, at one place he's called the Prince of Peace. But as you read the book of Revelation, there's going to be a war. The first coming and later on in Holy Week, he's going to be given a crown of thorns. But the second time, not so. It'll be a crown of royalty. The first time he came, as Isaiah 53 called him, the suffering servant. But we find out in other portions of Scripture that the second time he comes, he's going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. The question of the day is, what are we going to do with this king? As I was thinking about this and thinking about this passage, it hit me. We, as a, as a country, in many ways are doing a very good job of following our leaders and social distancing. 
and I want us to. I want everybody in the sound of my voice to hear, hear me as a pastor loud and clear saying we should do those things. We should follow the guidelines of, of, our, of our national leadership, of our state leadership, because uh, God, I believe, has appointed people who are thinking about these things and who are working around the clock to keep us safe, and I want you to do that. But it hit me how ironic it is that we have a country right now that is being so obedient as they should, but yet we live in a society that is so disobedient to this king who came to die for our sins. I can't think of a better thing to happen during Palm Sunday than for people to rise up and say, I'm going to follow this king and I'm going to do it on his terms. I can't think of a better thing to happen on Palm Sunday than for God's people to say, I'm going to stop playing games with God. And from here on out, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. This idea of us needing to respond to this king is all through scripture. Let me just share a few examples with you. John chapter 1 said it like this. It said it well. To all who received him, who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. One of the most famous passages in all the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to whosoever believes in him. We have to believe. John 14, 6 said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12 said it this way, there's salvation and no one else. There's no other name under heaven. Give it among men by which we can be saved. And 1 Timothy chapter 2 said, there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, simply means God saves. We are doing a good job obeying our leaders as we should. I want you to keep doing that. On this Palm Sunday, my challenge to us, how are we doing following the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Oh God, I'll follow you, but first let me do this. Oh God, I'll follow you, but what I really think is important is this. I can't help but think that in a time like this, God is reaching out to us and saying, my children, turn back to me. Uh, my children, understand that I am the God who saves. Repent of our sins and turn to God. If you're in the sound of my voice today and you're not a Christian, I can't think of a better time than right now than to cry out to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died on the cross and saved me from my sins and three days later rose again. And I am asking that you save me from my sins. My challenge to us today, in these atypical times, because that's what they are, it's not business as usual for any of us, may this atriumphal, this not-so-typical entry of a king not be lost on us, but may we see this king for who he really is. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, may we, from the bottom of our heart, cry Hosanna. And may we be blessed as people who come to you in the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that each of us would come to you on your terms. The only way we can, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God, in these atypical times, may we do the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that we're called to do 
from you, and that is to turn to you and to love you with all our hearts. God, I, I, we beg you that you would continue to, to bring healing. We ask that you'd keep people safe. We ask that we would be bound in your love. And it's Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. And Lord willing, we'll be back uh, next week uh, for Easter Sunday. Have a great week and a great Holy Week. God bless.